When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back to another episode of Blush. I'm your host, Hiva. I am back in Sydney, Australia. I had a really lovely time in Melbourne. I recorded that episode with Bryony Cole, which was so awesome. I'm so excited about that. She's actually really good friends with Ozzy. If it's your first time listening to the show, Ozzy is my boyfriend. I call him that. It's obviously not his real name. And yeah, when I was really trying to get Ozzy to come on the podcast and he was super against it, he suggested that I have on Bryony because she's right up my alley. She's into the same things as me. It, you know, was a perfect fit, uh, which it was. It was really lovely. It was so fucking cool meeting her and, you know, did a lot of exploring of Melbourne. And now I'm back in Sydney And this is the last time I'll be podcasting from Australia, at least for, you know, a while. I'm flying back to New York City tomorrow. And, you know, it's really bittersweet. I'm really, really sad to be leaving. I've had such a good time. Australia is quite literally paradise. It's so fucking beautiful. It's sunny. It's nice. There are tropical trees everywhere. Everyone's just really cool and really fun. On the other hand, I'm really ready to get back to my own apartment, to have my own routine again, to just, you know, get back to my regular life. And next week, I'll do more of a full update on the whole trip and some lessons that I've learned and things like that. I will just give you one quick story. So yesterday, I go to get my COVID test to come back into the country. And I book online and we show up to one location. They have a bunch of different locations where they can do the actual testing, but you order it online and pay for it online. So I show up and that location is closed because it's Easter weekend. So fine, fair enough. We go to another location. They're about to do my test. And all of a sudden they're like, wait, we can't do it today because it has to be the day before your flight because that's the U.S. rules now. I guess they've changed the rules. So we're like, okay, great, fine. So this morning, we go to a third place to do it. And they were like, oh, actually, we don't do this type of testing here. You have to go to DY. A DY is a, like a suburb beach, like it's one specific area. And so we're like, okay, great. So go to DY. Finally, the fourth place, they can actually do the test. It's the right time. We're about to do the test and they have a different system for doing a test here than anything I've experienced. They swab both your throat and your nose. And let me just tell you, she takes a giant Q-tip and shoves it 
all the way down my throat. Like I'm literally gagging. It feels like I'm in a disgusting porno movie and then takes the same swab that she just nearly, you know, that she just had me like deep throating and gagging on and sticks it all the way up my nose. I like I'm about to have a nosebleed. Like I look like Lindsay Lohan in the early aughts, like just like deep throating and nosebleeds. Anyway, so I finish, you know, being violated by this lady. And then she goes, oh, by the way, I'm not sure if we'll be able to send you the results. And I was like, oh, you don't say. No, that's that actually works out really nicely because I don't really need the results. I'm only out here doing this for shits and giggles. What the fuck do you mean you can't send me the results? And she's like, well, you have an international number and we texted. And so I just don't know if it'll get to you. Like sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I was like, okay, well, that doesn't really seem like the best system. Like, I don't want to be difficult, but <laughs> this is a travel COVID testing procedure. I mean, I can't imagine that every single person coming in here has an Australian number. Like, I don't know, like, update your system. Like, what? Like, wait, so I can't get on the flight because you don't know how to send a text message? Like, is that what's going on now? And so I was like, okay, fine, fine. Um, my boyfriend has an Australian number. Um, why don't you just take that down? You can send it to him. I'll get it from him. And she's like, yeah, no, we can't because we already wrote down your phone number. And I was like, okay. I mean, if only <laughs> there were a way to type another one. <laughs> and she's like, no, we have yours, so we can't change it. And I was like, okay, fine, fine, totally fair. Um, how about there are spots for like a home number and a work number? Why don't you just jot his number down into one of those? And she's like, yeah, no, I really can't. And I was like, okay, no, 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 this is excellent. It's, it's perfectly fine. I just, I'll live my life on the edge and just find out if I can get the results of my test or not. Ah, so... <laughs> Oh, and she's adamant that they can't email it. So I'm like, all right, that's cool. And she's like, yeah, if you don't get it in 24 hours, just call the company. And I was like, okay, what's the phone number? And she's like, yeah, I don't know. And I was like, okay. Um, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't feel like I'm asking for too much here. Is there any way you could just give it to me? And she's like, no, no, you'll just Google it. And I was like, okay. No, sure. Great. No, that sounds great. No, thank you so much. <laughs> and finally, she does take down Ozzy's number and she just wrote it down in the notes section. And when I walked out, like not five minutes later, she called him and she's like, we'll just email her. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, why are you acting like that whole exchange didn't happen for like five solid minutes where you told me you couldn't take his phone number, where you couldn't email me, you couldn't do this, you couldn't do that. It like feels like low-key gaslighting that now all of a sudden you're like, no, we'll just email her. It's no issue at all. Like, like did that not just happen? Anyway, I tell this story really for no reason other than I thought it was mildly funny and I just kind of want to complain and... I don't know. I guess, I guess I just, I really need to be home. Like I really, I'm such a homebody by nature and I think I need to be in my own space again. Like I'm just tired of dealing with admin. I'm tired of dealing with people, frankly. Like I just want to be home alone with my dog for a minute. I really have had the most amazing time in Australia, though, and I would say the highlight has been meeting Ozzy's family and spending time with them and getting to know them. They're just so warm and so fun, and yesterday I got really emotional because they got me like a leaving present, which was just the sweetest thing in the world. They got me this bracelet that has these stones that are native to Australia 
and it's all like black, white, and gold, which is, you know, my color palette, I would say. And it has like onyx and something else and gold. Uh, I can't remember what the other stone is. God, I should have been more prepared for this. But it comes with this little card that says the meanings and it's, you know, all about like self-awareness and getting in touch with yourself. It's honestly the most Hiva gift I've ever been given. And it's just so sweet and means so much to me. And, you know, assuming Ozzy and I are still together in December, I can't wait to come back and spend the Northern Hemisphere winter, Southern Hemisphere summer down here with them again. And, you know, just thinking long term, again, assuming Ozzy and I stay together. And I don't say that to, I mean, I sometimes say it just jokingly, but I don't say that because like I'm so uncertain or unsure about our relationship. It's just, I think, a reality of life. We don't really know what the future holds. And I think pretending that we do I think it just sets you up for disappointment. So, I mean, who knows what the future holds? Obviously, things are pretty good between us. Like, I really see no reason why we wouldn't be together. But, I mean, who knows? So, yeah. <laughs> and I guess I say that because there have been other relationships I've been in where I'm like, oh, yeah, no, we're definitely getting married. Or I talk about it like it was a certain thing. And then looking back on it, I'm like, why would I have ever thought that? Like there were so many issues in the relationship. This is the first time where I think I really go into it level-headed and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, if things keep going the way they're going, yeah, I guess we probably would get married and do the whole thing. But I've been wrong about this in the past. So I'm certainly not going to be too adamant or pushy about it. Anyway, <laughs> assuming, you know, things keep going, what I really would like to do is have a place in Australia and have a place in New York City and spend six months here, six months there, and like have our own home and our own space. And uh, I mean, it's just, it's the dream. Like I can think of no better life. Okay, moving right along. Another thing that's come up for me a lot, and I've been talking about a lot since being in Australia is I've been around a lot of kids and it's brought out quite a bit of inner child stuff for me. And it's come to my attention that I've never really talked about what exactly that means. I mean, I'm sure a lot of the audience is already familiar with the term or at the very least has heard it. But in case you're kind of unclear, it's a concept in psychology and it's traced back to the psychiatrist Carl Jung, who we love to talk about on this podcast. He linked the inner child to past experiences and memories of childhood, you know, innocence, playfulness, creativity, things like that. Other psychologists say the inner child is not just an expression of your childlike characteristics, but it's actually an expression of your lived experiences. Really, the idea is that no matter how old we get, we carry our younger selves within us day to day. And it often shows up and kind of runs the show. So one place where it would come up for me a lot and that I've talked about a lot on the podcast is I would get highly triggered if someone doesn't answer my texts right away, especially in dating, but also sometimes with friends. And what would happen is really it's my inner child that's showing up and acting out because it's that childhood wounding of feeling you know, neglected or not chosen or, you know, not cool enough or like don't have enough friends or whatever. So inner child work or inner child healing is a way of addressing our needs that weren't met as children and heal the kind of attachment wounds that we've developed. We all have a part of ourselves that was never really loved the right way way. Like no matter how good your parents were, they probably in some way or another weren't able to 100% attune to your needs. 
And a lot of this is really, or 100% of it usually, is quite subconscious. So it's not like something happens and you're like, boom, my inner child is out. It's more like something happens and just subconsciously you're so bothered. And it's that inner child. It's that part of you, that childlike part of you that's coming out and it's kind of running the show. So I've mentioned on several episodes since I've been in Australia that I feel like my inner child has come out quite a bit and not in a negative way, but it's like I've connected with my inner child a lot because I see kids, especially this has come up with Aussie's nieces who are having this childhood that I never got to have, this like really fun and playful and giggly and exciting. And, you know, they have a trampoline and all these cool childhood things that I didn't really get as a child. And so being around them has been very healing for my inner child because I feel like I've gotten to connect with that childlike part of me. I also have this theory that the reason we drink or a big part of the reason that we drink is because it kind of allows us to connect with our inner child. Like it's kind of playful and silly and we get to giggle and be a little looser. Anyway, I've been wanting to have on an inner child therapist or someone who specializes in this work on the podcast And I'd actually completely forgotten that I'd recorded an interview with Gloria, who is a psychologist. She specializes in inner child work and has a podcast called The Inner Child Podcast. Now, we recorded this a while ago, and we actually recorded an episode for her podcast and an episode for my podcast. And it's just kind of been um, in the back burner for scheduling reasons. And she just released the interview that I did for her podcast. And she messaged me and I was like, oh, shit, I cannot believe I completely forgot about this and how kismet. So I'm going to be releasing the episode that I did with her for the Blush podcast. Now, we did record it a while ago. I do wonder if it had been recorded recently, if my questions would have been different. Nevertheless, it's a really excellent episode. She talks a lot about how important attuning to a child's emotional needs are and what it looks like when you're not attuned to those needs, when you didn't get that type of emotional support that you needed in the way that you needed from your parents, how it manifests as an adult and how, what steps you can take, what exactly you can do to heal from that. So it's a really beautiful episode. If you enjoy it, I really recommend checking out her podcast. It's called The Inner Child Podcast. I'm on it. You can hear a lot more about my background and, you know, how I came to be this emotionally stunted adult. (laughs) Because, you know, you probably don't hear enough about me and my shit on here all the time every week. But seriously, it's a great episode. Definitely check it out. Um, If you enjoy this, please rate, review, subscribe, share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. You know the drill. Next week, I'll do a full Australia update. So you don't want to miss that. I will be back in New York City. Love you guys. Thank you for listening. to have you on the podcast thank you Hiva isn't Hiva just the best (laughs) (laughs) we need to have you on more (laughs) oh thank you I'm so pumped up yes (laughs) we just um did a podcast swap and I'm I'm buzzing from our conversation just before this one I know there's something I am just dying to get into but first can you just tell us a little about your background Uh, how you came to do this work, whatever else you think might be relevant. Yeah, for sure. Well, I am a human being out of um, Ontario, Canada. Now, most people know me from my podcast called The Inner Child Podcast, which Mm. speaks for itself. But essentially, I help high achievers who are trapped in the cycle of toxic relationships And using inner child healing, I help them break free from that pattern and actually find uh, true love. And so that's kind of what I do in a nutshell. How beautiful. And how do you define a high achiever? Mm, Good question. So just to give you a bit of context, I am a therapist turned um, inner child coach. And Mm -hmm. so 
sort of the definition of high achiever, it's kind of changed over time as I've moved industries. But a high achiever is essentially somebody who learned to become an overachiever as a way to cope with childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. And that could that's a very broad definition, mm-hmm. but it, it essentially means that they're only half developed as a person. They've only developed the parts of themselves that usually their parents wanted them uh, to, mm-hmm. to grow. And that usually includes things like doing well in school, getting a high paying job, um, people pleasing or doing mm-hmm. things for others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the tough part about this, and I, I am a high achiever myself, is we don't check any of the boxes when it comes to suffering from mental health, because on the surface, we look like we have all our shit together, mm-hmm. right? A lot of my clients have nice houses, nice careers, and yet they're unable to maintain a long-term relationship. And so something mm-hmm. is really wrong here, right? How mm-hmm. can somebody have so much success in all of these areas of life that society deems, um, you know, attractive, mm-hmm. and yet they can't sustain a relationship for more than six months. Something really wrong is going on here, and it has to do with their inner child and the old wounds from their upbringing that they're carrying into their adult relationships now. Mm-hmm. And so that's what a high achiever is. Yeah, I mean, I can relate so much, and I would imagine a great amount of our listeners can also relate and also I will say sometimes you're able to have a relationship that lasts but it's not a healthy or a functional relationship yeah like I know a lot of people who've been in relationships for years that are so toxic and it's just a lot of you know codependent Mm -hmm. uh, or trauma bond type patterning that repeats and you know there's a lot of fighting and getting back together or one person is overperforming and overgiving and the mm-hmm. other person isn't doing much but yes i mean it yeah I, I relate so much you know i see myself like i got really good grades in school i you know i did a jd mba i had all these things on paper that i was so proud of but I was completely out of touch with my own wants and needs, which I won't repeat here mm-hmm. because I talked so much about it on your podcast. So <laughs> anyone who's interested, please hop over and listen to that. But <laughs> maybe my listeners are getting sick of me just talking about myself all the time. Oh, oh they love you. <laughs> I don't know. I hope so. Yes. Um, But one thing I really, really am so excited to talk about with you. So when we were just on Gloria's podcast, I mentioned uh, very offhand how when I was a kid, I thought I was an alien. And I don't know how much I (laughs) I don't know how much I've talked about this on this podcast, but for the vast majority of my childhood, I was convinced that I was an alien. And really Mm. my biggest mission was to make sure that no one else finds out that I'm an alien Mm. so I would just sit and watch other people and be like okay other people do this so I should do this other people say this so I should say this so that I can assimilate Mm. and no one finds out yeah (laughs) um so I have never spoken to another person who also thought this (laughs) so can you talk a little bit about your experience with it honestly he but When you said that on my show, it's like you took the words out of my mouth. I'm sure we met for a reason, and it's that Mm -hmm. we connect on so many things. And I relate to so many parts of your story. Um, And it's so funny that I said literally almost the exact same thing as you. Mm -hmm. And the way I preface this um, is that sometimes when, you know, on other shows, people ask me about my Asian Canadian experience, I don't really have the conventional, you know, the conventional story of my parents moved here, there was racism, and then I overcame it, right? That's sort of the Mm -hmm. typical story people want to hear. But I didn't comprehend the experience of racism until I was an adult, because I suffered so much uh, attachment trauma as a kid that, like, let alone even race, I didn't feel, I didn't feel like a human being. Mm -hmm. And which is kind of interesting because I went to um, 
my first school, and I moved around a lot. That was you know, part of the trauma. My first school was a very white school. But it, like the feeling not like a human was so intense that I didn't even realize that they were racial differences as well. That was how mm-hmm. intense it was. And I thought I was like, like a soul from another universe trapped in a human body. Mm-hmm. And you've shared this on my show as well, but I would do very normal things that I didn't think other people did. And it was almost like, I, I have this vivid memory of watching a group of um, kids playing at recess, like Beanie Babies. And I was trying to copy their facial expressions. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I was watching them almost like I was trying to figure out, like, how were they interacting with each other? Like, how were, how, how does one just go up to another person <laughs> and start mm-hmm. a conversation? Right? I was just like you were, I was very isolated as a child and I didn't know how to interact with other people. And so I feel like socially I developed a lot later. Mm-hmm. I'm in my thirties now. So, you know, it kind of gives you a bit of an idea. And so, yeah, like that, that's where I connected with you so much on this, this whole alien thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I really wanted to get your take on. So, you know, we talk a lot in the wellness world about childhood trauma, childhood trauma, childhood Mm -hmm. trauma. And then I hear a lot of people say, well, I had a perfect upbringing, you know, like my parents and I are close like this and that. And I'm like, no, but you still have childhood trauma. So can you talk a little bit about that and kind of demystify or maybe explain how when we talk about childhood trauma, we don't necessarily mean like big trauma, major trauma, Mm. not, you know, sexual abuse or physical abuse or things like that, but it's often just very innocuous things. Oh my gosh. But this top, I'm actually obsessed with this topic. I know exactly what you're talking about, right? It's this comparison of, well, their upbringing was worse than mine and therefore it invalidates mine. Now that's part of the problem is we don't realize how important emotional needs are, mm-hmm. right? And this is a bit of, you know, when I, when I teach this to people, it, it's kind of a, like a, a, a shocking moment for them to realize when they see other parents and say, wow, they're giving them a hug when they're crying, right? Or, oh, that mm-hmm. parent is actually very calm when the child is having a meltdown. Mm-hmm. And I hear clients say things like, oh, it would have been nice if my mom did that. It would have been nice if my dad didn't scream, you know, my, my head off. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not that it's nice, but these are actual human needs. It's mm-hmm. just as important of a need as having food to eat, having a roof to sleep under. Mm-hmm. These are actual physical human needs that contribute to cognitive development, uh, social development, emotional regulation. You know, they've done studies with orphans in, I think it was in Romania. Mm-hmm. And if children, orphans are, are still stuck in the orphanage by age two, they don't learn how to regulate their emotions because there's no one there to, to comfort them. There's nobody mm-hmm. there to hug them or, or soothe them. And so, and that age two, right? That's how critical that time period is. And so it's not just a, oh, it would have been nice if my parents were, were nice to me. No, you were deprived. You were emotionally neglected. And it's just as serious if someone left you out on the streets. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, I really want people to, to realize is, is how, you know, the gravity of, of how serious this was. A lot of people I, I work with had a perfectly normal childhood in the sense that they went to school, their parents had jobs, they had a bedroom, you know, mm-hmm. they went to Chuck E. Cheese on <laughs> birthdays, but their parents dismissed their feelings. Their mm-hmm. parents laughed at them when they were sad. Their parents didn't do anything or take uh, you know, proactive action when, when they were upset. They, their parents yelled at them. You know, all of these things build up over time and they, they affect us as, as adults as well. Mm -hmm. So 
does that answer your question? I went off on a tangent. Yes, no, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. And actually, it's so funny. Yesterday, I was listening to a podcast and just completely randomly, and this neuroscientist was talking about this Romania study. And what oh. she said, I, I just, I can't believe it. Like, it's just one of those weird <laughs> moments where I'm like, yeah. what? I just happened to listen to this right. yesterday. I'd never heard about it before. But she said that in the orphanage, they told the people who worked there to not hug or touch the children mm. because they didn't want the children to become bonded to their orphanage caregivers so that they could yeah. become adopted. And so they all followed protocol, but there was one person who said that at, at the end of the day, when she was cleaning up or whatever, every room that she'd be in, the very last bunk bed right by the door, she would just hug that child before mm. she left, like she would break the rules. And then years later, when they studied these adult children, they found the only ones that were in relationships were the people whose bunk was right by the door who got that hug. Mic drop moment. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And that is the answer, right? Why do you think, not you, sorry, Hiva, to the oh, audience. Yeah, no, of course, yeah. <laughs> right? Why do you think, you know, all of us have that friend that keeps dating that same person in different package over and over again. And it's, you know, it's like, how does that even happen? And it's because that person didn't learn how to have a safe attachment or safe connection as a kid. And that mm -hmm. blueprint is just being carried over from one relationship to another. So I didn't actually know that fact. So thank you for telling me. <laughs> and it makes it even more mind boggling. Yeah, it's so interesting, right? And you know what you said about you know, we develop the things that our parents nurtured in us. Again, I was able to get good grades and do all these things, but romantically, like as far as partnership, I'm so underdeveloped. And it's because I had such a hard time accepting myself as an adult sexual woman, because that was, mm -hmm. you know, I grew up in a pretty yeah. strict Middle Eastern household. Like my parents would look away from the TV if two people were kissing. And that kind of sends yeah. messaging like this isn't okay. This is a bad thing. This isn't what you should be doing. And I noticed this patterning in myself. Specifically, I was home for Christmas and my dad and I were talking about some kid that we know, you know, so like their friend's child and how he, he has a, a child with a woman that he's maybe with, maybe not with. It seems like they're very on and off. And I just made some comments or my mom said that his mom said that he's just not the type to commit to women. And I said, mm. you know, if, you know, to each their own. If he doesn't want to commit, if he wants to lead, lead a bachelor lifestyle, good for him. I just think maybe he shouldn't be impregnating this woman who seems to think that there is a relationship together if that's what he wants to do. And my dad was like, absolutely not. Like, it's not okay to just want to be single and just want to be a bachelor and everyone should commit. Mm -hmm. And there's that's an unfulfilling life. And he goes on this really long tangent about how divorce is so bad and people shouldn't be getting divorced and people should just commit to each other and it was this aha moment where I was like wow no wonder every time I've been in a relationship I cling on to it so much and I'm so like so yeah. incapable of breaking up with people it's because I've received this messaging mm -hmm. in my childhood that like a romance is not okay so that's why I have these like long bursts of celibacy but then b separating is not okay so then anytime I am in a relationship I'm like well uh, you know now that we're together we have to make it work right. even when it's really bad and that's why I've had such a hard time in the past even seeing like no I actually don't want to be with this person hmm. and it's it, that that conditioning right yeah of course and so I think one of the moments where I realized how much I've actually reprogrammed this subconscious programming was when I was dating someone last spring and finally I was like, wow, I don't want to be with him. And I broke up mm -hmm. with him and I was like, that was when I was like, okay, there's some movement yeah. here. I'm no longer the girl I was a year ago. Like I've actually grown 
And yeah, that was very fulfilling. So while we're on childhood, one thing I really want to ask you. So I'm 33, I think. I don't even know. I think I'm 33. <laughs> Time goes past. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'm in a relationship that's, I don't even know when we started dating, like June beginning of June so it's, mm-hmm. it's been a few months I don't know um <laughs> it's a good relationship and so one thing I've kind of been thinking about not as far as today but just in general is do I want kids and I don't really know but I do sometimes think about it in terms of if I have kids how can I raise them to be mm. the most well-rounded developed children yeah. And I know we have some people who listen to the podcast who do have kids or definitely want kids. And so do you have anything to say on that? And I mean, sometimes random things like, so I have been around babies and I know there's this thing where they try to get them to self-soothe. So like if Mm -hmm. they're crying, you don't go check on them. Like, and I always wonder, I'm like, is that damaging for their subconscious or is it not? Do you, do you have anything to say about little things like that? Oh, yes, absolutely. So I feel like my history is a little bit complicated. So uh, when I, you know, when I was working as a therapist, I actually started off working with young children. So I started off as a children's therapist and then became an adult's therapist and then coach. Um, Yeah, I do have a lot to say on this topic. And the most important thing that I want parents to know is, well, first of all, if you're listening to a show like this, you're already uh, ahead of the crowd. Uh, you know, I have an interesting thoughts on parenting sometimes. I think, how can someone, how can we require licensing to drive a car, but we don't need any training or education to become mm-hmm. a parent to a young uh, soul? But side note, what's yeah. really interesting about parents becoming emotionally attuned to their kids is you don't actually have to be perfect. So when they look at research on how to raise a a secure child. Mm -hmm. So basically a child who is emotionally regulated and has healthy relationships. So this is very surprising, but parents, they actually only have to get it right 30% of the time. Wow. That's it. Wow. Right. 30% of the time. And, you know, which also tells you if you have an insecure attachment style, um, then your parents did a lot worse than that. They did, they, right? <laughs> yeah. That, and okay. it's, they, they call, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that, but uh, <laughs> uh, just dropping some facts. But it, it's, we call it the good enough parent, right? Because that 30%, it's almost like um, the, what's it called? The, a sailboat. You're, you're kind of navigating, you know, we're, we're kind of inching towards a certain direction that we want that kid to go. And it means you don't even have to be perfect, but get it, you know, get it right enough times so that the child itself can learn to regulate on their own as well. Mm-hmm. Now, the example you gave, I think I don't want to give a clear answer because there's many schools of thought around the right way to parent. Mm-hmm. And the reality is there is no one right way to parent and that's because children themselves have different temperaments Mm -hmm. right I was a very I was naturally a very sensitive kid already and so I'm sure there were times where I sometimes I needed to be comforted and sometimes it would have been better to leave me alone Mm -hmm. but you don't really know until you understand that unique child Mm -hmm. right now if you have a child that um, you know, just naturally is a little bit more rebellious um, and is naturally more confident, then perhaps it would be more beneficial to um, uh, sometimes ignore certain behaviors, mm-hmm. right? But only if it fits that particular child. And so I think there's no real one way to do it. Uh, but the most important thing is to actually listen and pay attention to your kid. Mm. right and talk to them when you don't get it right right let's say your child is crying and you you give them a pacifier whoops 
They didn't need a pacifier. They actually needed to pee. We made a mistake. Mm. The best thing you can do as a parent is to apologize to the, to the kid and talk to them about what it is that they need. That way, you're also mm-hmm. setting the expectation that they don't have to be perfect either. Mm-hmm. Right? Children are always watching and listening to everything mm-hmm. that we say, even the way that we respond to them. So, yeah, that's what I would say on the topic. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, I, this was not what I was planning on talking to you about, but it just <laughs> came right. up so naturally. <laughs> and like I said, it is something I think about now in terms of like, okay, if I were to have kids, you know, what do I do? So that's really helpful. Now, what I really want to talk to you about is codependency and people pleasing, which I would imagine are highly linked. So one thing that is kind of the blush community focus for this year is to stop people pleasing, stop just agreeing with people when we don't actually agree to actually speak our needs, Mm. speak our wants, to be a little bit more assertive, you know, not be aggressive, but be a little more assertive with our wants and needs. And one thing that I'm really realizing in myself as the link for a lot of this is just wanting to be liked. Mm. Would you say that that's common? Like that's the common thread of a lot of people pleasing and codependency. You just, you just want to feel part of the tribe. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, I was a huge people pleaser. Like I, there was this time I, I looked in the mirror and I was just looking at my whole outfit and I thought, is anything about me what I really want? Right. Mm-hmm. I was like, am I, is that a hairstyle I want? Or, you know, did other people want me to, to have? Mm-hmm. And I'm so confused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People pleasing the way that I approach it from an inner child perspective is now I don't shame people pleasing because when we shame that behavior, we're we're kind of missing the lesson on why that developed in the first place. And we become people pleasers because at some point in our childhood, to please our parent was the only way to survive that situation, Mm -hmm. right? Like when I think about um, growing up and having to move around, when you're a kid, you don't get a choice as to who your parents are. You're kind of stuck with them until you're 18. And if, if you're like a prisoner, then sometimes the best way to get your needs met is to to learn to anticipate what your parent wants from you, mm-hmm. right? Because then at least, you know, we'll still all be together. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it really is about wanting to be liked. But the root of it is also wanting to be safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And what advice would you give? I mean, I know this is so loaded and there's, you know, probably <laughs> not enough time for everything, but what advice would you give as just starting points for someone who's becoming aware of this patterning in themselves mm-hmm. and wants to move out of it? Oh, yeah. It's so hard, isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. I re- when I started my, I guess, anti-people-pleasing journey, I was, I was having, I had this, I don't know if You've had this too, Hima, but I had this huge identity crisis where I was like, oh my gosh, not, I've, I haven't chosen anything. Like, do I really like this career? Do I really like this city? Do I, right? And I was just mm-hmm. questioning what my true motives were for everything. And my best tip on getting started is to actually listen to your body and seeing how you actually physically feel about mm-hmm. certain decisions. Right. So, for example, um, you know, career could be one. I know we talked about that. If I'm going to my job, am I more excited about doing the actual work or am I more excited about the status that that job gives me? Or am I more excited about people, you know, the praise that I'm getting from other people? Mm-hmm. Um, a, a smaller example could be uh you know, exercise or habits or certain hobbies, right? Am I working out seven times a week because I actually enjoy doing those exercises or am I doing it because I think that's what I should be doing Mm -hmm. based on what a magazine said or someone on Instagram said I should be doing and kind of Mm -hmm. just starting with how you actually feel. 
do I actually enjoy doing this thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had that, I mean, in every facet of my life, but one that's really kind of easy to see and less emotionally charged is with food. Um, you know, I talked oh, about this on your podcast, yeah. but for a long time, I would eat like a lot of steak and a lot of unhealthy food. And mm. it was very my way of kind of being a pick me girl and being like really cool. And like, I didn't want to be like mm. a prissy girl who orders salads, you know, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I had this other identity, but it's continued since then. I mean, I, when I first went vegan, I'd follow all these vegan influencers who were like, you should eat a high carb and low fat diet and like mm -hmm. eat all the potatoes and sweet potatoes and bread and grains and this and that that you want and just cut the fat down all the way. And I noticed that physically didn't feel very good for my body, even though, yeah. you know, I'd see this like gorgeous blonde tall with a six pack on the beach, who, <laughs> you know, seemed to have everything I wish I could be, but I definitely wasn't. And it's taken so much work for me to be like, wait, what actually feels good for mm -hmm. my body? And really right. learning to listen to that and this is such a dumb example. I can't believe I'm taking it this far, but whatever, <laughs> we're, we're going to roll with it. Yeah. Um, so last spring, my boyfriend gave me herpes and um, just like oral herpes, like HSV-1, mm -hmm. like cold sores, but I'd never had the virus before. Like most children are just exposed to it as children from right. their parents. Mm -hmm. um, and I, oh, I got them too. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very like 90% of people get it and they're almost always exposed as a child. And so I'm exposed to the virus for the first time as an adult and I got so sick. Like I, I thought I had COVID. Mm. I kept taking negative COVID yeah. tests. It made no sense. And so finally, and the entire inside of my mouth was covered in sores. There were like 150 mm. to like 200, um, but I thought it was uh, canker sores because I would get those. Oh, so it didn't okay. even occur to me that that could be herpes because like normal people get herpes on the outside of their mouth. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So, and I just remember I was so sick and uh, my brother was ordering food for me and I just really wanted soup. And like, I was like, I just, I cannot have legumes. Like I don't want lentils. I don't want beans. Like I can't explain it, but I will like, like just the thought of it makes me nauseous. And another thing was, um, cacao, which I usually eat mm -hmm. so much cacao, but I was like, I can't even look at cacao. And then when I found out it was herpes, and by the way, my doctor told me it's actually very normal to have, if you're exposed to HSV, one for the first time as an adult it's such a different virus and your oh, body yeah. just has a very extreme reaction to it so she's like mm -hmm. it's very normal that this happened to you it's again because most people are exposed as children and I guess the child body adapts to it much better but the adult body it's all of a sudden like whoa what is this right. I had a fever yeah. I was in bed for days anyway so then when I found out it was herpes I was doing a ton of research into herpes and I found out that um, arginine, which is an amino acid, is really mm -hmm. bad for herpes and lysine is really good for herpes. Mm -hmm. So foods that have a high lysine to arginine ratio are really good for herpes and foods that have a very high arginine to lysine ratio are very mm -hmm. bad for herpes. And the top two foods that have a really high arginine to lysine ratio are legumes and cacao. <laughs> And so my body just intuitively knew, like, no, stay away from these foods. And I found that fascinating. And I really reflected on how far I've come with food mm -hmm. and with nutrition and being able to listen to my body. Um, sorry, that was such a long tangent. Oh, that's all right. But that's a killer example of intuitive eating, right? Right, yeah. And I, I, by no means am I saying I'm an expert in the topic at all, but I have come a long way in it. And mm -hmm. also on people pleasing, or I mean, asking for what you want. I, you know, I told you on your podcast that I was previously in this relationship where I was just constantly overperforming mm -hmm. and never speaking my needs. And now I'm in a relationship that's really healthy. But one thing is 
with my partner, I always, not always, but it often, I often have to ask for what I want. And if I Mm -hmm. ask for what I want, he will give it to me. But Mm -hmm. if I don't ask for what I want, he doesn't often. Some, there are some things where he knows to anticipate it. And I was like, wow, the irony of the fact that I'm now in this relationship that's really forcing me to vocalize mm-hmm. my needs and wants yes. is something I'm so bad at. Because yeah. it doesn't come naturally to all of us, right? Especially no. growing, growing up, if you weren't allowed to ask for certain things, it can feel so weird. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. I don't want to keep you much longer, but I guess, do you have just one quick, easy, actionable tip that anyone listening can do to Mm. become more attuned to themselves and their needs and their bodies? Oh my goodness. Of course. You know, I can share sort of what inner child work is really all about. Mm -hmm. And it's in moments when you're really struggling, whether it's in a relationship or something where you're you're having issues, um, maybe even loving yourself. Inner child work is really just remembering that you are still a kid, mm-hmm. right? We don't just quit being a kid one day and become an adult. It's the same same body, same same person, and to speak to yourself as if you were talking to the five year old you. Mm-hmm. And remembering who you truly were before the social conditioning, before the traumas, who you were at your most authentic, natural state, and seeing how that changes your perspective. So that would be my one tip. I love that. That's so beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Gloria. I would love to have you back to maybe do a deeper dive into these topics and maybe I won't hijack the entire conversation. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> Just can't I love stop talking, talking about over here. Yeah. <laughs> I like, you know what? I, I like to say I'm on a seafood diet. I see food I like and I eat it. That's my diet. <laughs> I love that. Um, so can you just share where everyone can find you? Yeah, I'm an Instagram girl. You can find me at, um, it's at by Gloria Zhang. And um, I guess the other thing is just my podcast. It's literally the inner child podcast on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen. That's where you can find me. Yes. Um, and definitely check out our interview on Gloria's podcast and also your Instagram is my favorite it's one of the only accounts i've seen where every time you post something i'm like yes 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 this this (laughs) this is exactly it thank you yeah thank you so much perfect for anyone who really wants to do the work which is pretty much our listener base here that's great to hear hey this was such an awesome conversation and i'm sure we're going to connect again and talk about our alien stories yes. and all of the other things so thank you for having me here it's been an honor thank you for coming on have a good week you too bye-bye, bye-bye.